You may not know Jack, but if you don't know which Trump prosecutor now has bragging rights, then you haven't followed. The Manhattan DA's historic federal court filing yesterday to stop MAGA House members and Jim Jordan in their tracks from interfering with an active Trump prosecution and investigation, and to have a former a prosecutor on the case, Mark Pomerantz, testify to Congress about his work on the case. Just what is that lawsuit about? What does Alvin Bragg want the federal judge, a Trump appointee, to do? And why did the presiding judge already deny a temporary restraining order for Bragg to stop the subpoena? And does that mean anything in the long run? Then we are only two weeks away from a Manhattan federal jury being picked to try the civil rape and defamation case brought by E. Jean Carroll versus Trump. And the judge has made moves to protect the future jury once again. Why did both sides ask to have the names of the jurors in advance? And will Trump show up at all for the trial? And that's not the only trial going forward this month that'll rock Trump and Fox World. The $1.6 billion Delaware defamation case against Fox and on-air personalities is going forward, brought by Dominion Voting Machines, and it starts in less than a week. What did Fox and its lawyers do already to piss off the judge? And what defenses does Fox even have left? And what is Dominion prohibited from mentioning to the jury and why? Finally, Trump has just filed today in Miami a federal suit against Michael Cohen, of all things, for $500 million, according to the press release masquerading as a lawsuit, um, arising out of his previously being the lawyer for Donald Trump. We don't know who the judge is going to be yet, but we're going to unpack all of the allegations in that complaint on the midweek edition of Legal AF, the top-rated politics and law podcast with your anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman at Niffalo. When we get to the E. Jean Carroll uh, uh, part of the of the matter, we'll have Jessica Denson, Karen, of Lights On joining us. Karen, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I can't keep track of all the stuff going on. We we kept adding topics and changing things. I mean, it's so much going on. It's really, it's really yeah. intense. For those that like that kind of stuff. So I was on a plane when a lot of these uh, uh, segments that we're developing and curating mm-hmm. for you today uh, were, were changing uh, by the hour. Michael Cohen got filed. And so we're tweeting and, and texting each other about that and uh, developments in, in Fox Dominion with the judge being really annoyed and about to sanction Fox even before they step into the courtroom to pick their jury and all of those things. So we try to be as about as up to the minute as we can. And, uh, and this one, you know, we are right at the moment, right on the moment. And so I'm so happy to see you, Karen, because I can't think of anybody better to talk about our first segment or any of our segments today. Uh, Let's kick it off. Let's talk about Alvin Bragg has had enough. Or as I like to say, uh, who are you going to call? It's Alvin Bragg. For those that that questioned (laughs) Alvin Bragg's brass to go after Donald Trump on the right case, prosecute him for the right things and not take it not take his 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 crap, I think that has now been resolved in Alvin's favor. It, if people thought it was just going to be the general counsel for the Manhattan DA's office writing a nasty letter to Jim Jordan telling him to back up, you don't have jurisdiction over, over a New York prosecution of local crime, which is effectively what this is, at all. Remember, we're sovereign. We're a sovereign state and all of that, if you thought that was just going to be it, you were wrong. Because he filed, Alvin Bragg in his own name, on behalf of his office, 
filed a lawsuit in the Southern District of New York. It's already been assigned a judge. And he immediately sought an injunction to stop a few things. One, to stop the continued interference, obstruction, and persecution of the Manhattan DA's office and everybody affiliated with them in the Trump criminal prosecution by by Jordan, by MAGA Republicans, by the House Oversight or whatever that committee's called, in their tracks, done. And because the thing that set this off is that Mark Pomerantz, who we've spoken a lot about, who for a time was the special prosecutor that was hired along with Carrie Dunn by Cy Vance, which, which uh, 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 of course, Karen will talk a lot about because she worked under Cy Vance, worked for Cy Vance as his number one right hand for a long, long time. Um, that set of prosecutors that were hired at a private practice to, to look into the all things Trump, they quit 90 days after Alvin Bragg arrived because they didn't like that Alvin Bragg wasn't ready on his 90th day in office, having just been elected by the people of the state of New York for this job of being a prosecutor. They didn't like the fact that he wasn't willing at that moment, or, or he wasn't going to indicate to them, remember, they worked for him, not the other way around, that he wasn't ready to, that he was ready or not ready to indict, hadn't made the charging decision yet. And so they left in a huff. Pomerantz more than done. Pomerantz then went on to write a book called People Versus Donald Trump, in which he revealed insider information um, and comments made by Alvin Bragg and his own Mark Pomerantz view of all of the different investigations that were still ongoing in the office, including the one about Stormy Daniels. So he was like crapping on the Stormy Daniels case, for which he was just a special prosecutor working as an insider, which Karen will give her opinions about that. It's that Mark Pomerantz that Jordan wanted to subpoena, has subpoenaed to appear before a congressional committee to give testimony as a prosecutor about his view of the case to try to set up some, some uh, debate between him and the real prosecutor who is Alvin Bragg. Okay, that's the frame. Now let's get to the molecular with Karen Friedman Agnifilo, formerly the number two in the Manhattan DA's office, who, who, who was involved with everything that's listed in the complaint, including the law that was cited to support the complaint against Mazers, which was the accounting firm for Donald Trump. Start from wherever you want to start, Karen. <laughs> start from the filing, start from Bragg, wherever you go. <laughs> so... As you know, this is a, just for everybody who's listening to remind them what Alvin Bragg is bringing against Donald Trump is a criminal case in state court. But what has was filed yesterday is a civil case in federal court. And one might argue, why is Alvin Bragg filing a civil case in federal court? And it's to try and stop Jim Jordan from interfering in a criminal prosecution. And really what Jim Jordan has done is he has said, he, he's, he sort of first says, <clears throat> we're going to look into this to see if 
if there are any laws that we should change. And then he says, are there any, do you use federal funds in this case? Oh, you used $5,000 of federal funds. Okay. We want now to hold a hearing on that. Then he's going to, says he's going to come to, uh, to New York, uh, I think next week and hold a field hearing to, uh, talk about with, with crime victims, all the people who are victims of crime who Alvin Bragg didn't prosecute uh, the perpetrator because saying he picks and chooses his cases and he doesn't go after violent crime, he just goes off after political crime. So Jim Jordan makes lots of different accusations about Alvin Bragg, but he's trying to find a place in a way that he can have oversight over the criminal case. Because typically Congress cannot interfere in a criminal investigation, especially a state and local one. It's it's with the DOJ, that's slightly different. But even there, I don't think that Congress can interfere in uh, a, a criminal case or a criminal investigation. It's first of all, a different legislative branch. But, you know, with the states, it's even more so because this is Alvin Bragg's an elected state prosecutor. And there's Federal, federalism issues, meaning that uh, the feds have given the police powers and law enforcement to the states, and the states have the authority to manage and prosecute their own crimes. And so, so the question then is, what is Jim Jordan trying to do? He's trying to find a way in. And the only place he has a little leg to stand on is this $5,000, because what happens is the Manhattan DA's office and other DA's offices receive federal funding for various, there's various federal grants that you can receive. Um, one's called the Violence Against Women's Act grant. Another one is uh, the justice, it's like JAG, Justice Assistance Grant. And, and prosecutors all around the country get these. There's also something called asset forfeiture money, which is money that uh, prosecutors seize from uh, from criminals, whether it's a drug dealer or a bank that, um, you know, you, you basically take uh, illegal money from them and you seize it. And, and, if, and some of these uh, seizures happen federally. So the states, we, the, under Cy Vance, the, um, the New York County DA's office prosecuted these big banks and was in coordination with the feds. And so it was done through federal asset forfeiture. And so when, when you have federal asset forfeiture money, it still goes to the DA's office. You just have different restrictions on what you can use it for. But using the money on a case or on cases is totally valid use of these types of funds. Well, the Manhattan DA's office apparently used $5,000 on one of these cases. I think it was the Trump org case, which is a tiny amount, by the way. I, I wonder why they even used it. Uh, it was probably uh, inadvertent because that's really not a lot of money to, to use on a, on a case or an investigation, especially one this magnitude. But that's the hook that Jim Jordan is trying to use to have oversight over this criminal case. But it's clearly pretextual, right? It's clearly a pretext. And he is in cahoots with Donald Trump in order to intimidate and somehow stop 
this criminal prosecution. And how do we know that? Because that's what Alvin Bragg set out in the 50-page complaint that he filed in the Southern District. It's a painstaking uh, recitation of the facts, and it's worth reading. He even goes into, he felt the need to have to defend himself because of this hearing that crime is actually down in Manhattan since he's taken office, and he cites the NYPD crime statistics that murders are down, violent crime is down, um, uh, significantly, actually, since Alvin Bragg has taken office. So he also has, uh, he also cited, I think, 22 different photos or memes or text messages that he attached as exhibits showing this campaign of intimidation and collusion between Donald Trump and Jim Jordan. And that this is really not uh, a legislative, an appropriate or legitimate legislative fact finding that this really is an intimidation campaign and trying to get Alvin Bragg to back down on this criminal investigation. And, and so he really methodically goes through the, the facts and builds the case showing how this is coordinated and an intimidation campaign and how, how as a result of this, and he shows the, the kind of cause and effect with with when he does some when someone does something and then something happens Alvin Bragg has received over a thousand death threats since Jim Jordan and Donald Trump has have waged this campaign against him and he lays that out in this complaint as well and so it's just very interesting to read it and it really paints a picture of what is going on and what the impact is of this politically motivated uh unprecedented and really inappropriate legislative interference, which is what the uh, what Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy and Trump are trying to do in a legitimate state criminal prosecution. So that that's what's happening there. I think I read today that there was another white powder uh, incident at the Manhattan DA's office. Um, Popak, did you hear that? Did you see that, that there was something, another threat today? We're putting it up right now. Yeah, that that what I loved about the filing, besides the brass that it shows, Karen, from your old office, which I know you're you're properly proud of for how they are not taking it, right? You gotta take the you gotta take the lunch money from the bully. And that is what Alvin Bragg is doing. The complaint, I I I, I completely um hats off to the Manhattan DA and their outside law firm, Gibson Dunn, for the eloquent way that, as you pointed out, Karen, they mixed and matched and showed the, ca the cause and effect, the coordination between the House, the Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan, Donald Trump, in their social media, in their tweets, all timed out um, to at a coordinated attack on, on Alvin Bragg. Alvin was also able to pull together appropriately and put in the complaint photos of the tweets in which he's called an animal and a racist and depraved and 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 all sorts of criminal, a thug by Donald Trump. His wife has gone after. He mentions Judge Mershon, the presiding judge in the in the court up the street, in the state court up the street, the Manhattan uh, uh, uh Supreme Court that um, in which the judge's wife and daughter were attacked. The judge was attacked. He put up that picture, that that cringy picture, Karen, that set you off with us anyway, that led 
us to go on the on the podcast about a month or two ago, where basically Donald Trump has a, put up a photo, and we'll put it up here, of with a baseball bat next to Alvin Bragg's head, threatening to brain him. Okay, if people didn't think that Alvin and his office and his team around him and whoever the current Karen Friedman Ignifolo in that office is don't have eyes and ears and weren't watching all of this. We've talked at length on Legal AF about the gifts that Donald Trump is giving to prosecutors and judges, and they're taking advantage of it. We're going to see it later in a segment. You know, Lewis Kaplan, who's presiding over the E. Jean Carroll case and has this case and all of this injected into his courtroom, he comments on all of the terrible things that Donald Trump tweets, his surrogates tweet about uh, judges, juries, prosecutors, their family, calling them animals, depraved, dirty, filthy thugs, calling for death and destruction. For anybody out there that's new to the law, <laughs> just came to it because of Midas Touch and Legal AF, this is not normal. Prosecutors don't get attacked like this by notorious people, a public figure, a former president um, on a regular basis. And, having, and then we've talked about stochastic terrorism, where you blow the whistle into the ether and some crackpot picks it up and attacks Alvin Bragg and sends white powder, tries to assassinate him, um, you know, and, and sends letters and all sorts of things. I mean, that's how, unfortunately, in this country, that's how mass shootings happen. That's that's when how terrorist cells get activated by comments that are made that are irresponsible and dangerous and treasonous by the former president, right? The businessman, Donald Trump, as he identified himself in the courtroom during his, you know, prior when he was being booked and arrested. And then he goes on, Karen, Donald Trump, and this is where Alvin gets the upper hand because now it's in his federal filing, almost a page out of Donald Trump's book. There are parts of the filing where I was like, hmm, Alvin didn't really need to talk about that but he is delighting in the ability to roast Donald Trump and Jim Jordan and Congress. Yes, underneath it, there is a sophisticated legal argument about plenary police powers, the sovereign, the sovereign doctrine, the sovereignty doctrine of states versus federal, uh, the underpinnings of our U.S. Constitution and how we set up the federal versus state system and the and the fact that there was never going to be uh, because the founding fathers did not want the federal government to have basically police power in that way. That's why the, the, the government runs in armed forces. OK, and there's the yes, there's a National Guard that doesn't do local policing or criminal justice. And that's for a reason, because we didn't want a super grand jury sitting in Congress. That was the founding fathers. So, yes, in there, in the complaint are all the foundations, all the Supreme Court precedent. One in particular I want to talk to you about, Karen, because I think you were there for it. The underpinnings and the factor analysis for when it is appropriate for Congress to give oversight and interfere in local prosecutorial conduct and lo local prosecutorial investigatory uh, matters is based on a Supreme Court case from just a few years ago involving who else? Donald Trump and Mazers has now disgraced the counting firm who, who, who subsequently said everything that we've written about Donald Trump in our work papers and certified his financials for the last 10 years, you can't rely on them. That's Mazers. So there was a, a US Supreme Court case involving Mazers, their documents, Donald Trump, and, uh, and a subpoena. And Kara, why don't you talk 
to our, our, uh, our legal AFers, law students out there, about how that case developed and why it's cited so heavily in the complaint filed by Alvin. Yeah, so there was a grand jury subpoena that under Cy Vance was issued to the Mazers accounting firm to get the taxes of uh, Donald Trump and the Trump organization. And of course, Donald Trump fought that and said that uh, you should not, you shouldn't be able to um, get my taxes because he never wanted them released. And the, what normally happens is when a lawyer wants to fight a subpoena, a state grand jury subpoena, because that this was a state grand jury subpoena. Normally they go before the state grand jury judge. And that's what happened in uh, this particular instance regarding the tax returns. But Trump said, no, I'm the former president and therefore this should go to the uh, into federal court. So he ended up having it removed to federal court and it, it ended up, there was a lawsuit and then a countersuit and it went up and down, up and down in federal court, all the way up to the Supreme Court twice. I actually uh, watched the argument in the Supreme Court and it was done. It was Carrie Dunn, who's one of the prosecutors that resigned when um, when Alvin Bragg came into office. And he did a brilliant job of arguing why uh, the state should be able to have the tax returns. And, and in that case, the Supreme Court set out four factors of when it, when, when you can actually, um, what four factors that are, are appropriate for legal analysis in this particular case. Um, and so what ended up happening was Alvin cited those factors and cited that case here as precedent about why this, uh, why he's, perfectly within his right to bring this case and prosecute this case and, and to keep it in state court. Uh, I want to just mention one other thing um, that you were talking about, which is Mark Pomerantz, who's a defendant in the um, in this filing that Bragg brought in the Southern District. And he, in addition to it being Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee, it's also a defendant is, um, is Mark Pomerantz. And, and I think the way you explained it in your hot take was he was a necessary, uh, a necessary defendant because he's a necessary party. He's the one who's being subpoenaed here. I found that sort of interesting because of all the claims that are being made, I wonder whether he's slightly vulnerable since he already wrote a book on this and has been very public, has gone on TV to speak about these things. Do you think he might be able to be compelled to talk about uh, the things he's already talked about and maybe even waived, number one. And number two, I'd love for you to talk about what you think of the federal judge that they pulled in this case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll talk about her second. Um, there's already been <clears throat> a sort of a bad ruling by the judge, although I'll, I'll try to explain it that I'm not sure it means that she's not going to properly, as a, even though she was Trump appointed, she's not going to properly evaluate the facts here. But I will talk about an order that she just made that wasn't great for Alvin on the way in. Let me start with that one since I'm there. And then I'll come right back, uh, Karen, to the question that you asked about a Pomerantz waiver and him being compelled and forced to testify before Congress. And I think that's the that, that's where we've got some solid ground as outlined by, by Alvin Bragg. 
The judge that's been assigned by random selection in the Southern District of New York is Mary Kay Viscussel. She was a bankruptcy, she was a longtime bankruptcy lawyer, bankruptcy lawyer for a major firm, well-known firm in town. She got appointed to the bankruptcy court a long time ago. And then Trump, you know, some people think it's an elevation, elevated her to federal judge as opposed to just full-time bankruptcy judge. Um, But it's somebody that obviously Trump liked. Um, She really doesn't have a a notorious reputation for doing anything inappropriate or being some sort of MAGA Trumper. I wouldn't expect that in New York at Southern District. But um, the first thing that Alvin did when he filed his papers, just so people understand how that works, you have a complaint, which we've shown many, many times on Legal AF, which is the initial filed document in a civil case or in a criminal case, it's an indictment. In a civil case, it's a complaint. And then there's an answer or there's motion practice around a complaint, motions to dismiss, and then later summary judgments. I'm just sort of reminding everybody where we are in our coursework here at Legal AF University. But when you file the complaint and you ask for a couple of things that aren't, um, let's say, money damages, you ask for, in this case, you're not asking for money, you're asking for an injunction, which is to stop something from happening, to prevent something from happening, or to force something to happen. That's called a mandatory injunction. And then you often ask for what's called a declaratory judgment, which is a declaration by the court. It's exactly what it sounds like, of rights. Um, I think that Congress has crossed the barrier between state and federal improperly, that they have violated sovereignty of the people of New York and what what resides in the Manhattan DA's office. And I want that declared by you, Judge. So you often see when there's no money being sought, like, a, you know, it's not like a, a, a breach. Um, and it's not like a breach, but um, it, uh, so it's not money, but it's injunctive relief, right? So that's what they're going for here. And they filed with it papers. They filed with it papers about it getting an injunction. And they wanted what's called an ex parte, a a temporary restraining order. And there you're asking the judge, don't tell the other side. You don't need them here for this. Here's here's our papers. Give us an injunction right now to stop the, the April 19th or 18th testimony that's being sought of Mark Pomerantz, our former prosecutor, about an ongoing investigation and prosecution. And I keep saying investigation and prosecution because, yes, he's indicted under, Trump's indicted for 34 counts, but they're not done in the Manhattan DA's office. There could be a superseding or amended indictment, adding new counts and claims. In fact, Karen, you've said in the past that there likely will be to add counts. So this is an active investigation and a prosecution by way of a current indictment. And so you can't have the precedent of every time Congress and the Republicans get a wild hair and they want to help Donald Trump, they're going to pull a local prosecutor across state federal lines to come answer for it in, in the House of Representatives. I mean, it's the founding fathers are spitting in their graves. So you ask for injunctive relief. You ask for it to be early and without the other side giving notice. So the judge said, you know what? I'm going to deny that. I'm going to deny the temporary restraining order without notice. Give notice to the other side. In other words, serve Jim Jordan in Congress, which there's a way to do that, and let them brief it. And let's all come back for a hearing on April 18th, fully briefed on your request for an injunction and a declaration. So it's going to go fast, 
but it's it's going to go on briefing and not on kind of a secret order that Jim, then Jim Jordan has to fight against. So I, I was sort of okay with that, but I saw some publicity that was like, federal judge denies emergency temporary restraining order. It was like, oh, crap, the Trumper did it again. But I, that's not how I interpret it um, at all. So on the, as to your last question or your question, Karen, on Mark Pomerantz, He's got a big problem. I don't think waiver, even though I think he there's aspects of it that he did, plays into it. Look, that privilege, the prosecutorial privilege, as you know, resides with the current occupant of that office, Alvin Bragg and the people of New York, not Mark Pomerantz. That he went off and put things in a book that you and I were like, smacking our forehead about why would you comment about the Stormy Daniels case? You don't even know if it's being prosecuted yet. And your information is a year old because you left the office a long time ago. Why are you talking about your private conversations with Alvin Bragg? So I don't think it's his privilege or his whatever to waive. That's why he's a defendant, a nominal defendant in the case, because the subpoena is directed to him, not as Mark Pomerantz, but he's Mark Pomerantz, former special prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office. So who comes in, intervenes, the boss. And the boss says, that ex-employee of mine, let's get this down to to labor law, employment law, that ex-employee of mine doesn't have the right okay, to go testify before Congress about anything. And by the way, you don't have the power to to subpoena because you're you have a limited Congress oversight abilities and you've abused that for political purposes in a retaliatory way in a trumped up show in order to help Donald Trump. And that that's the entire gist of this lawsuit. But you and I are going to talk a lot about it, Karen, because there's going to be a hearing that's going to be relatively public. It's not it's not a secret grand jury. That, that's the other thing that Alvin Bragg has told the judge in his filings. He wants an injunction to protect the sanctity of and the secrecy of the grand jury and the grand jury process because you can't have you know people poking around what happened in the grand jury. And he he ended it with this, Karen, Alvin in his lawsuit. He said, if 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 Donald Trump thinks that what I'm doing is political, which by the way, Donald Trump says everybody is doing something. And if they're black, they're racist. And if they're Democrat, they're political. To give him a scot-free pass on his own crimes, he called, you know, Letitia James, New York Attorney General, racist and it's political. And he went to three courts and each court told him they're not. Um, So everywhere he goes to attack the prosecutors, he makes that that attack. And Alvin said, you know what? If you think I'm bringing, if you think it's a political vendetta, this is for a man who did not run on a campaign of going after Trump. I know I've seen it in the papers where people have said, yeah, he ran on a campaign. No, he did not. If anybody ran on a campaign, it was Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, but not Alvin Brack. And I yeah, voted. He he, he, yeah, he didn't run on I'm going to get Trump. It came up, but it came up during debates because there was eight or nine people who ran for DA. And don't forget the DA, whoever was going to win, whoever took over the reins of the, the helm of the Manhattan DA's office was going to be handled an indictment against Alan Weisselberg and the Trump org, and at least one, maybe two cases, investigations that were pending. And so it was always a question of, of can you handle a, a Trump case? Because there were Trump cases, right? That's what it was about. It was just trying to see, uh, you know, the, the different politi- politicians who were running, the different DAs who were running, could they take on a former president and Donald Trump? Because not because this is such a complicated case, but because 
He's a man who will threaten. He's a man who will try and intimidate, who will try to use the legal process frivolously to try to delay things, make fr frivolous arguments, and never, ever try to be held accountable. In fact, he's somebody who declared his candidacy in order to avoid criminal prosecution. These investigations and prosecutions were well underway before he ever declared his candidacy. So these were there first, and Donald Trump declared uh, just so that he can say this is a political winch hunt and they're trying to interfere with the election. No, these existed first. He's the one who's trying to make it political. So that that's where that yeah. is. And look, I agree with you that um, that ultimately uh, Mark Pomerantz probably can't be required to testify because, you know, look, Alvin Bragg was clear. He put in his papers, we told you, we asked you not to write this book. We asked you not to go on TV. We asked you to, can we see a copy of the book in advance? And you said no. So, I mean, his objections, Bragg's objections to Mark Pomerantz are on the record. And so he, he didn't waive that either. But that being said, Jim Jordan, just take pick up Mark Pomerantz's book and read it. Read from it at your hearing. Oh, but, but yeah, I but mean, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to show circus in New York to you know to order to promote Donald Trump's agenda. That you can't just say, "Hey, read People versus Donald Trump." You want to like embarrass the yeah, prosecutor. But, yes, of course he'll do that too. Yeah. But he can put actors. I mean, I'm not kidding. That's you can put people <laughs> in place to pretend to be, and and they will ask questions. What did you think of the assistant DAs? You know, an actor to pretend to be Mark Pomerantz and a questioner. What do you think of the assistant? DAs in the Manhattan DA's office and read from page, you know, 46 of blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, they couldn't make a decision and they weren't very good and they were political, whatever. He can go on and on. He, he made disparaging remarks about Alvin Bragg. He made disparaging remarks about the career prosecutors in the case. He talked about the internal deliberations in the office regarding this case. And he talked about his own opinion of Donald Trump. And I just think it's, it's really created a scenario that is just politicizing something that should just be a legal case that goes to trial and let, let a jury decide. Yeah. Well, good on Alvin Bragg for drawing a line and telling Congress, back the F up. This is not New York. And you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to retaliate or intimidate um, this office, Manhattan DA. And for those that are asking, and I see it in the, in the comments, um, isn't it a crime? It is. There are crimes of intimidation related to the prosecutors. This is a civil case, as Karen outlined in, in the in the Southern District, asking for declaratory and injunctive relief. That's it. It doesn't mean that Alvin Bragg also could not bring other crimes and indict Donald Trump for it if it continues. Not Jim Jordan, so to speak, but it could be Jim Jordan. So we'll leave that for now. Um, and uh, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, take... Uh, just a moment <laughs> for a word from one of our sponsors. This is Michael Popak from Legal AF. If you're like me, you understand the pains of choosing what to wear. Let's face it, most clothes are uncomfortable or too tight or are never actually the size you really are. Not to mention the annoyance of trying to put a good outfit together. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours before you have an important meeting or dinner. And then you got to change all over again. Everyone wants to dress the best and look good at all times because, frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. 
Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, one-quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way, from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. And with its gold fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I absolutely love Roan. As you can see, this has truly become my go-to commuter fit and on the Legal AF podcast recordings. We're on the move a lot, whether it's jumping from meeting to meeting or catching a flight or an important dinner. The Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and comfort of the collection is undefeated. Even after I wear it all day, I still feel super fresh because of that Gold Fusion anti-odor technology. The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash legalaf and use promo code legalaf to save 20% on your entire order. That's 20% on your entire order when you head to r-h-o-n-e slash legalaf, promo code legalaf. Find your corner office. And we're back. Let's talk about E. Jean Carroll. That trial is coming up. And I don't care what Joe Tacopina and Alina Haba think. That trial is going forward on the 25th of April in the federal court, another federal court, another another federal courtroom in the Southern District of New York, this time in front of Lewis Kaplan, who's been running, a, as most federal judges do, running a very, very tight ship here, often, often um, making both sides, both lawyers unhappy in his rulings. He's running the show. He's wearing the uh, black robe. So look, uh, what's the case about? Civil rape. It's a civil rape case back in... Um, uh, 1995 or 1996, uh, E. Jean Carroll has been consistent in her allegations and her narrative. She's been tracking ever since that uh, she was sexually assaulted and raped in a dressing room of a major department store that happens to be across from Trump Tower. And the other part of the case is all of the defamatory things. If she's right and Donald Trump is wrong, all the defamatory things that Donald Trump said about her after he was pre- after he was no longer president and no longer had any kind of immunity whatsoever. So that's the case. And the case that's going to be presented to some combination of jurors between six and 12, that's how it works in federal court. I think there'll be about nine here. They'll work that out among the lawyers along with all alternates is going to be, you know, here's the witnesses. E. Jean Carroll's going to testify, of course, at length about what happened to her, uh, supporting witnesses that she told what happened to her back in 95 and 96 will take the stand. At least two women who claim that they were sexually assaulted by Donald Trump with no relation to E. Jean Carroll will take the stand. The Access Hollywood tape of him talking about sexually assaulting and abusing women and touching them without their consent will be played, and Trump will testify. Now, Trump will testify either because he'll take the stand in his quote-unquote own defense in the civil case, or he'll get, he'll get dragged in kicking and screaming through a trial subpoena issued by E. Jean Carroll's lawyers. Um, and if he doesn't want to take the stand, they'll just play 
the depositions that were videotaped of him, which did not go well for him. We've seen not all of the transcripts, but we've seen a lot of the pages of transcripts um, already that were that were uh, filed in the case, and therefore we got access to them and we talked about them. And that's not going to go well for Donald Trump, including his inability to pick out E. Jean Carroll, thinking it was his wife or his future wife, Marla Maples, and all sorts of other things that show him to be completely dishonest. For those that think he'll take the Fifth Amendment, he will not because he won't be able to. In order to take the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination, there has to be the ability that there is a reasonable likelihood of a criminal prosecution. And because the statute of limitations in New York has run for the criminal rape that she could have that she could have uh, been the victim of and ask uh, prosecutors and law enforcement to go after him for he he has no legitimate claim to a criminal prosecution related to her and therefore he won't and has it not taken the fifth amendment now the judge has made some rulings on his own he's decided for the protection of the jury they will be anonymous um, and nobody fought back on that uh, in March the, he asked for the opinions of the lawyers they were both like sounds okay to me keep him anonymous. Then somebody woke woke up, Karen, and the lawyers woke up and said, well, we'd like to know their names in when they're potential jurors. You get a list, basically, when you're picking a jury. Karen and I have picked juries. You get a list. It's called a panel or a veneer of all the potential jurors. And usually, sometimes they fill out a questionnaire about their background occupation, who, you know, siblings that work in law enforcement and maybe relationships to Trump or things like that. And then you know, you you go through a voir dire process, which is a selection process, a searching, um, searing inquiry of questions that in federal court is usually led, almost invariably led by the judge. State court, a little more freehand for the lawyers to do the jury selection and questioning. Federal court, it's almost always the judge. The lawyers can add questions, the judge can use them or reject them, but the the purpose is to get a fair and impartial jury selected from this group of 100 or 200 that are brought down by the by the uh, by the marshals and the people that are responsible for jury selection from which to choose. So then you get to your 9 or your 12 with alternates going back and forth. <clears throat> Somebody woke up on the both sides and said, "Oh, we want to see the names." So we got to know the names in advance. Maybe the jury becomes anonymous once they're picked, but we want to know who they are in advance. Don't worry, judge, you can trust us. The lawyers will just know their names. And the judge said, yeah, we're not doing that. I told you the jury's going to be anonymous. You'll learn their names when we're doing the selection process. I'll protect them and keep the media out of the room, of course. But that's the earliest you're ever going to know them. Um, so we're not doing that. And then, Karen, I want to I bring in now Jessica Denson, who's our colleague on Lights On. Hi, Jessica. Great to see you. Great to see yeah. you again, Karen. It's been a while. <laughs> hey, Jessica, Thank how you. are you? Great, great. And Jessica, you know, the the has a great new show um, that she's on. Ben Mysalis is on there with her sometimes, uh, but uh, is a great new voice on the Midas Touch Network. And we're we're thrilled to have her join us for today. And, and we were talking, we thought this was a good segment because who who's better at beating Donald Trump at his own game in a lawsuit, which is what Eugene Carroll's trying to do now, than Jessica Denson? Jessica, why don't you tell those that that haven't crossed over and also seen your show or haven't seen the Midas Touch Brothers shows that you've been on? Tell them a little bit about you know your claim to fame, how what you did to take down Donald Trump, and see if we can tie that back into uh, Eugene Carroll. 
Yeah, well, you absolutely have this, this uh, you know, powerful um, woman in E. Jean Carroll who has brought this case forward, and I, I have so much respect for her in this case. But I really, I mean, with the news of Alvin Bragg's lawsuit against Trump, it reminded me so much of my own playbook, so to speak, my own legal trajectory in taking on Trump. For the viewers who have maybe never heard of me, I initially uh, worked for Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. And um, I've come full circle, 180 degrees out of that brainwashed, mesmeric vacuum of right-wing propaganda. I talk a lot about that on, on our new show, Lights On. But I worked for him in 2016, had a terrible um, discriminatory, defamatory experience. Year later, um, had an existential crisis, ended up suing the campaign for um, human rights violations and other common law claims. I filed this lawsuit on my own as a pro se litigant. And right out of the gate, the first maneuver of the Trump campaign in classic Trump style was to retaliate against me with a non-disclosure agreement and a $1.5 million arbitration demand. Now, I'm, I'm representing myself at this point. I haven't even found a lawyer because I didn't have the time or the money to do so before I came to this kind of existential realization that I had to take action. So I'm, I'm juggling this, this unbelievable kind of pressure and intimidation and harassment of this retaliatory NDA action that they brought against me. And not knowing exactly what to do, what I ended up doing was I ended up handling it proactively. I never entered the arbitration that the, that the Trump campaign brought against me. Instead, I filed another pro se lawsuit in 2018 to invalidate Trump's non-disclosure agreement that he had all of his staffers on his 2016 campaign sign. And through many legal hoops in and out of court and arbitration, I event and of course amassing a legal team, wonderful legal team who has now joined me. I have invalidated that NDA in court. So when I saw Alvin Bragg yesterday file this lawsuit, I was so encouraged and just happy for him to be confronting this head on as I did, saying, No, we're not playing your games. We're not entering into your um, perversion, inversion of justice, where you try to turn things on your head. We're going to handle these things proactively and um, challenge these subpoenas that are just weaponized, politicized attempts to defend Donald Trump from his his sycophants in Congress. And um, and I think you know you may have some hiccups in the beginning. Certainly, there's there's so much I have learned this over the past. What are we at now? Going on six years battling with the Trump campaign. There's a lot of delays. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome. But I think that was an excellent opening posture um, that Bragg brought against, um, against Jim Jordan to say, this is where we stand. We are not going to be cowering back. We're going to handle, handle this proactively. And, um, and it's that kind of attitude that defeats this paper tiger pretense of power that the Trump world tries to put out, um, both through the legal system and the political scene. Yeah, that's, uh, that is encouraging for somebody like E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean has also an added benefit. She's got Robbie Kaplan, who Karen and I interviewed, Roberta Kaplan, powerhouse, rock star, trial lawyer, who's doing all the right things. Um, Karen, why don't you talk about the recent filings that Joe Tacopina and Alina Haba in a letter brief 
basically a day after or hours after their client appeared with Tucker Carlson talking about the Manhattan DA case and other things, what they filed to, to try to delay the case for 30 days, whatever that means, for a cooling off period. And then Robbie Kaplan's almost instantaneous response, which I think handed them their hat. I've told people I've never seen a live vivisection where somebody's heart was pulled out of their chest and shown to them. But Robbie Kaplan's letter brief was about as close to it as I've seen. Talk talk to the audience about what you took away from those two those two filings. And what do you think Judge Kaplan's going to do about it? Yeah, the case is scheduled to begin April 25th. And uh, Trump is asking for an adjournment. He's saying it's because of pretrial publicity. Uh, he said since his indictment, there's been a del- deluge of prejudicial media coverage. He asked for a one-month postponement. Uh, they indicated in there that holding the trial of this case a mere three weeks after these historic events will guarantee that many, if not most, prospective jurors will have the criminal allegations top of mind when judging President Trump's defense against Ms. Carroll's allegations. Uh, that was that was a quote, by the way. And Joe Tacopina, one of the lawyers, asked for a cooling off period. And uh, he said, you know, just we just want a month so that we can have everybody cool down. But let's think about what's going to happen in that month's time. Okay, during that in that month's time, he is going to be Donald Trump's likely going to be indicted again, this time in Georgia and probably also by Jack Smith soon thereafter, if not before. So really things will get worse, not better in a month's time. So given that and the fact that who created this media frenzy, okay? Who created this deluge of media attention? Donald Trump did. Donald Trump is the one who left court and held a rally at Mar-a-Lago. Donald Trump is the one who appeared on Sean Hannity. Donald Trump is the one who is, is going out and making it so that there is a ton of media attention here. He's the one who called for protests and death and destruction, et cetera. So he has created the very situation that he's now complaining of. I think that there is no way in hell that the judge is going to give this adjournment. It's not happening. This judge is going to make this trial occur. It's going to start now because, as I said, I think things get worse for Trump in terms of media attention, not better in a month. So this is just one more attempt at delay, 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 because, you know, that's what they do. They just want to uh, to make these things, you know, just not go forward because going forward would mean being held to account for what he did. So I just really don't think that there's a chance in hell that the judge does this. I mean, what what do you think? Yeah, what I like, I'll turn it over, then I'll turn it over to Jessica. What I liked about Robbie's um, letter brief back is it started with picking up because Joe Tacopina has a tin ear. He, he's, he's deaf because the judge just got through the day before telling the lawyers that he, the judge, is going to handle voir dire, that it's going to be a searching inquiry to get an impartial jury, and that he and that the judge is obviously fully aware of things. The judge even pointed out, I said two weeks ago 
that this jury needed to be anonymous for their own protection and under federal protection because of all the things Donald Trump had said. And it got worse, the judge said. Since then, he's gone after Judge Mershon, the sitting judge presiding over the criminal case down the street, his family, his friends, his daughters, his wives. It's gotten worse, not better. So Robbie started her letter with, Judge, you're going to do the voir dire. You're going to do the jury selection process. And we trust you and your ability to pick a fair and impartial jury. Plus, she said, this is my part where they, Robbie just stuck it to Trump because Trump's ego is like, everything is all about me. Like, I think, Salty, we have it, where he's now told people that there were that there were courtroom personnel that were crying and apologizing. Uh, really? Like the guy that hit him with the door and didn't bother holding the door for him? I mean, Karen, you and I are around New Yorkers. All, all day long. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no one in New York in the court system is crying. Even if they're Trump supporters, they're not crying. Okay. That's so in her, this listen to this York. one. In, in her letter brief, she said, well, Takapina and Haba make a big deal out of doing Google search. Not a lot of law in their brief, but they did a Google search and they said, oh, 60,000 stories of Trump's indictment went on. And Robbie said, that's not the proper way to do it. You do it with Google Trends. And if you look at Google Trends, within a day or two of the indictment, the interest in Donald Trump's indictment dropped by 85%, almost back to pre-indictment levels. In fact, she went on just to stick it to him and said, New York is behind Akron, Ohio, and in between Akron, Ohio and Vegas in interest. And her quote was just withering and devastating. Her quote, which I'm gonna read, is that apparently it appears that New Yorkers aren't as fixated on Trump as he thinks they are. And then went on to say, and what does 30 days do? What is, how is a 30, this is where Takapina from the first paragraph, almost the first sentence of his filing, lost. 30 days? I mean, if you really seriously thought you needed a cooling off period, you'd ask for a longer period of time. 30 days is not enough to cool off everything around the Donald Trump circus. And as you rightly pointed out, Karen, more indictments coming in Atlanta, more indictments coming out of um, out of Jack Smith, more things going on in the Manhattan DA's office. It's never going to cool down. He doesn't want it to cool down. He's fomenting it. So you can't, you know, we, we joke about this before, and I'll turn it over to Jessica. You know, it's it's the old orphan mercy. You kill your parents, and then you ask the court for mercy because you're an orphan. You created this problem. This is going to be a loser. This thing's going to, I'll, I'll eat, my, I'll come back on the show and eat my hat, eat my hat, if this doesn't go to trial on the 25th of April. Of April. What, Did in, you have in, in other weeks. Did you happen to catch the judge said no more delays due to their advanced ages because <laughs> Trump is 76 and E.G. and Carol 78. But I, I love how because he's always talking about how Joe Biden, you know, whatever. Trump is, you know, getting up there, too. So, yeah, of course. All right, Jessica, what did, what did you think? First of all, I was going to say when you were talking about New Yorkers not liking Trump, it reminded me of my pro se days fighting. I was in in the that New York Supreme courthouse so many times because I filed a paper lawsuit. I didn't do it electronically when I first filed. So I had to literally like bring my motions into the motion practice room in New York. And I remember the first time I went and I sat before a clerk and the clerk's like, yeah, good job. <laughs> so there's a little bit of the sentiment of New Yorkers, not to mention in the in the courts um, in New York for, for Donald Trump. And there were so many times I, I, I was doing this on my own for so long that I had to 
get other people to serve papers for me. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't even put an envelope in the mail myself because I'm the party. So I would have to get somebody else to do. It. And I would literally just walk on the street outside of New York Supreme Courthouse and find a New Yorker who was happy as anything to be helping somebody in a lawsuit against Donald Trump. So <laughs> that's the New York sentiment for, for uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. And yet, no, yeah, we don't care about you. <laughs> But but I think I think Jessica is a testament to a couple of things. One, you this is what we do, Karen, and you and I for a living is is brain surgery. As my mother always said, you need a good doctor, you need a good tailor, and you need a good lawyer in your life. And there's a reason for that. But but you can, I mean, it, it, you can do it yourself. It could be a, the ultimate DIY project, which is what which is what uh, Jessica has done to take down Donald Trump and all the lawyers around him the way that she did. So if you now add on Robbie Kaplan, and, and I'm, I'm waiting and I want to hear from both of you on this um, because you have a perspective that I, I don't have. I have it from experience, but you have it from your vantage point. You've got Joe Tacop. This is the only two lawyers. I thought a long time ago they were going to replace the lawyers. As this case got closer to trial and the seriousness of the allegations became clear that this could really nail Donald Trump because the jury, if they find civil rape and they find defamation, they're going to write a big fat check against Donald Trump. Okay. And he's going to go down in history. I forget, you know, yes, the 34 counts are interesting up the street for Stormy Daniels and paying off a woman he had sex with, but civil rape. That's a whole different branding of him for history. I thought he replaces lawyers with better lawyers. I'll be honest with you. He brought in Joe Tacopina. And I said, all right, he's going to be the lead lawyer. Okay. And then, but Alina Hobb is still there. Who cross-examines? This is very delicate. E. Jean Carroll. Is it Joe Tacopina, who has shown no nuance, no, no velvet touch at all? In any of his, he's the pit bull. He's the pit bull in the china shop to mix metaphors. Is he the one that's going to suddenly be a, a hi, Miss Carol? I'm I'm the lawyer. I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Or is Alina Haba? Well, right, his coloring. I called it a coloring book during the last one. Or is it? Or is it Alina Haba? These seem to be the only two choices. And and I want to hear it from Karen, having done this and done sex assault cases when she was a prosecutor and violent crime, that kind of thing. And then from you, Jessica, and just being a a absorber of all things legal from your perspective about how that would play out for a jury. Karen, what do you who does this and what do you think the impact of the jury is going to be on who's chosen to be the cross-examiner of E. Jean Carroll? So, yeah, so oftentimes uh, criminal defense attorneys are, uh, they, they believe that in sexual assault cases, it's better to have a woman do the cross-examination of another woman so that the man doesn't, uh, doesn't come across as too heavy-handed. And it's also a little bit awkward, especially when a woman is talking about a sexual assault, having a man talk about things in detail, because you have to ask detailed questions during cross-examination. So they often bring a woman in to do that. In fact, now that I'm a criminal defense attorney, I've had uh, multiple requests to be that person in a trial to to do that. And um, 
you know, they, they, they're, they're typically shopping around for, for a woman. So I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Tacopina isn't, even, even if he can soften his voice and you know, he, he's, he's an experienced trial lawyer, even if he can tone it down and, and soften it, it's, it's creepy and awkward to have, you know, you have to go into detail and cross-examination that that's typically what's done to try to show that, it either lacks detail or somehow doesn't make any sense. And so you're talking about body parts and, and private things and who touched who, where and when and what came first. And, and it's really not only awkward and creepy, but offensive to have a man talking to a sexual assault survivor uh, in, a, in a trial. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he brings a woman in. What, what do you think, Jessica? I would think that if they have any hope at all, they would bring a woman in. Um, I, I just, as you're talking about that, knowing the kind of persona of Joe Tacopina, I'm thinking about the Trump lawyers that are on the Trump campaign in my case, uh, all male. One of them I went head to head with in an oral argument when I was pro se, and he was literally like shaking. I don't think they quite knew how to handle, um, handle me. But um, if they have any hope at all, I think they've got to, they've got to bring a woman um, I, I think that uh, Jean Carroll is just going to um, really give them something that uh, this case, you know, we've never seen anything like this case. And I, I can't, I cannot envision as, as much as he might tone himself down, I cannot envision it being a good look for them to have Joe Tacopina across examining E. Jean Carroll on sexual assault issues. Yeah, I I, um, I will just wrap it. That's a very two powerful observations. One from a, a practitioner and one from a sophisticated legal participant. I don't know, <laughs> Jessica. I want to call you a lawyer, but you're not there yet. You will one day. You'll, you'll be there. But your your uh, your observations are great. the The thing that I, I that kills me when I read social media about it is the you know Trump's been successful and getting out talking points against E. Jean Carroll that are A, nonsensical, and B, not true. Like she was on, you know, uh, Tucker, um, she was on um, uh, one of the CNN shows uh, with Anderson Cooper and said rape was sexy. You know, you have to watch the entire interview and the point that she was being made that is so taken out of context and not what she was talking about at the time, but that's what you get pushback on. She is going to, they're going to do a cross of her you know, it's going to be a very good day for the plaintiff after E. Jean Carroll testifies, because as everybody here has said, and everybody has said in general, when a witness like this one is so consistent in her story, so authentic in the telling, um, and is unshakable in her resolve, the jury, that resonates with the jury, especially a jury here in New York that's going to hear this story. And they're not going to have to, you know, I'm pretty sure in one of their motions, the judge isn't going to allow Takapina and Haba to even say, well, you waited, the date is the date, it's 95, 96, but they're not going to be able to make a big deal about that uh, because there was a new statute that was passed just in November and she was case number one that was filed under it. And so they don't want to get the jury all wrapped up, but why'd she wait so long? Um, because for a long time, her, her, her statute of limitations had run and then it was reopened for a one-year period of time. But I think she's going to do well on the stand in her direct. I think then they're going to, Look, they'll they'll try to score some points. It could well backfire the way that we've just described it in front of a jury. If it's not, this is real brain surgery. And if they don't do it just right, 
It's going to backfire on the lawyers that are cross-examining her, and it's going to benefit her. And then, of course, Robbie Kaplan, just to round out our trial practice segment here of Legal AF, um, Robbie and her, her team gets to come back up and do what's called a redirect if they think they've been hurt on any particular thing, if they want to give her a, a better opportunity to speak. Because remember, in cross-examination, generally, it's it's done in a yes or no format. In fact, if there, she's not answering yes or no, the judge will often admonish the person and say, you got it, you can explain it. You can do that when your own lawyer gets up, but you got to answer this question because it's framed as a yes or no. We call that a cross-examination question, a leading question. But with your own lawyer, you don't, you're not led. In fact, you're not allowed to lead technically, and you have to answer, and you can give a little longer narrative. So answer. So the, the lawyer will get back up. So she'll have the last word, literally, Robbie Kaplan and, and E. Jean Carroll, after, um, after getting through a what I think will be somehow a vigorous cross-examination. Then the rest of the witnesses come on. And then Donald Trump's going to have to come on and give his BS, which is, I don't know her. I don't like her. You know, she's not my type. You know, all this other ridiculous. I, I was locker room talk in the Access Hollywood. Uh, I the woman in the first class. I did. I never groped her. The woman uh, lies, lying people. People magazine at Mar-a-Lago. I never. I never put her up against the wall and forcibly kissed her. This is like a death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, how many of these does the jury just going to roll their eyes? And who in that jury, as Robbie Kaplan put in her papers, an impartial jury doesn't mean one that's ignorant. I mean, we're not looking for people who don't know who Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States was, or that he lived in New York, or that he had a career, or that he was a celebrity apprentice. They're not finding that. It's just knowing all of that, can you be fair and impartial, applying the law to the facts, yes or no. That's the question. That's it. That's the litmus test for everyone. Not whether you know you know anything about it. It doesn't require ignorance of the of the defendant. So um, I think we're going to have to watch it closely. It's going to go on the 25th. There's going to be a ruling by Judge Kaplan off these competing briefs that have just been filed about delay, delay, delay. And I think, as I said, uh, Takapina shot himself I don't know about in the foot, but in the head by arguing that he just needed a 30 day cooling off, cooling off period between the, the arraignment about an unrelated case having nothing to do with E. Jean Carroll. Even at worst, Stormy Daniels is about paying off a yeah. woman you had sex with. It's not yeah, about exactly. attacking her sexually. Right. That's what I, I was, I, I forgot to, I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot so to mention NDAs that. NDAs and women, was, it's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, no, but that was the, <laughs> that was the most ridiculous argument that he made was it's so similar. It's so similar. I'm like, it has, one's a white, yeah, it's one's a, a white collar paper <laughs> case and another one's a civil rape case. Like, I'm sorry, they're nothing alike other than that they're both involving women. You know, one is consensual sex and one is, is rape. I, I don't know. Right. I, I thought that was a, a ridiculous argument yeah. as well. Yeah. And we'll talk at the end, uh, uh, the next segment or the segment after it at the end about this new suit that Donald Trump has filed against Michael Cohen and why he's done it. Because Michael Cohen, of course, is the lead witness, as we know now, in the indictment of Donald Trump related to Stormy Daniels. Jessica, I'm so pleased that you were on. I know, Karen, what do you think? We should we should have her come on more regularly, right? Yeah, it's always nice to have someone else come on. So and it's great. To I see think you, this Jessica. is the first 
Great to see you. This is the first Popak and I have shared shared a screen. But Karen and I got to know each That's other o- over the summer with the Gen 6 hearings. And I absolutely yeah. love doing them with you. I was always but, coming off. You were coming on after me. I jumped in. You came I know. On, right? I know. We never right. made it on at the same time. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much knew... for having me. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, and we're going to come on your show. I think you you and I talked about having yeah. Karen, me, or some combination, one or, one or, yeah. one or both at some other time. So uh, for those that that uh, are just kind of waking up and listening and watching Jessica Denson. She's the anchor of a new podcast from a really great uh, perspective and a a serious and important voice on the Midas Touch Network called Lights On. And you can find it everywhere you find our stuff, right on the Midas Touch Network on YouTube and in every place you can pull your podcast. Jessica Denson, thanks for being with us. And we're live, live every every Friday at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, live, live, just like this. So come on over and join us live, live on Friday. And Jessica, (laughs) just I want to just say one thing. You are such an inspiration because really it it takes a lot to to take on Donald Trump and his machine of intimidation and threats and harassment as as we're seeing he's him doing to Alvin Bragg, as we're seeing that he does. But, you know, Alvin Bragg's an elected official. He he sort of signed up for that. Right. You are a person. Right. You're just a normal person. You're a woman. You're smart. And, and you took him on. And it's not just that what's impressive isn't that you did it pro se without a lawyer. What's impressive. I mean, yes, that's also impressive. But what's really impressive is that you had the strength and the fortitude to take him on despite what he does to people. So it's really, it's really amazing what you've done. It's an inspiration and uh, hopefully your strength will give other people strength who come forward because he's just a disaster. Thank you so much. It means the world coming from you, Karen. Thank you. Yeah. Well, before Jessica takes our job as lawyers, <laughs> we're going to go <laughs> wish her well, but we're going to go to one of our- I don't our, have time for our... law school yet, but I might be going to law school soon. Uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Let's go to one of our sponsors and come back and do two segments we're going to come back to. We're going to do Michael Cohen getting sued by Donald Trump just today. Talk about real time in Miami. Uh, in the Southern District of Florida. We'll talk about why that was filed there and what do we think is going to happen next and why and why, uh, why Florida at all. We'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about what is happening with the trial that starts on Monday. Dominion voting machines versus uh, Fox. Fox is stepped in both feet in both buckets in front of this judge, has, is getting sanctioned by them even before the jury selection has happened. Major rulings have gone against Fox News before in Fox Corporation, even before they enter the room. The jury's got very little to do because the judge already ruled against Fox on three major issues. We're going to talk about all that after this note from our sponsor. Let's take a quick break to talk about our next sponsor, Neurohacker, Qualia Mind. Just like you, throughout the course of a workday, we here at Legal AF are juggling a lot of different tasks and assignments, stories and shows, analysis and hot takes. That's why we're so proud to partner with Neurohacker Qualia Mind to keep us focused and improve our memories. Transforming willpower and productivity can, in turn, transform tons of life habits for the better, from workouts to job performance to life goals. And that's why it's so important to have a sharp memory in today's working environment. Look, we've all misplaced something before, whether it be your keys or something at work, and we ended up downing ourselves because, well, how could I forget that? Well, worry no more. 
Our sponsor, Neurohacker, combines 28 of the most research-backed nootropic ingredients on Earth into the ultimate brain fuel formula, Qualia Mind. And it's been changing people's lives for years now. For my daily mental performance and supporting long-term brain health, Quality Mind is indispensable. It's so cool to take a health product where you don't have to wonder if it's working because I notice the difference in just days to my focus, my mood, my memory, and my willpower to get things done. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in each ingredient's effect on mental clarity. And get this, it's backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee. So you have almost three months to try Mind at no financial risk and decide for yourself. See what the best brain fuel formula on earth can do for your mindset. Go to neurohacker.com slash Legal AF for $100 off. That's only $39 a bottle. And as a listener of Legal AF, use code Legal AF at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash Legal AF to try Mind with code Legal AF and experience life-changing mental performance. I need neurohackers to get through all of our segments today, and my head is spinning from all the developments. Let's talk, Karen, about Dominion and Fox and the big trouble they are in even before they enter the courtroom. Let's start with two concepts. I'll frame it. I'll turn it right back to you, Karen. We've got a defamation case brought by Dominion Voting Systems, an election a software and hardware company that was just doing their job selling safe and effective cyber secure uh, of voting machines to different uh, election precincts and counties around the country out of Canada. That's where they got their, their dominion from. It comes from a reference to um, the woman's suffrage movement in Canada of all things. And it was invented as a company after the hanging Chad 2000 election that put Bush over Gore by a five to four vote of the US Supreme Court. If you're wondering where the company came from, has no relationship to Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, um, a bribery conspiracy uh, with uh, the Georgia election officials, Smartmatic working with Dominion. This is all the fevered pitch opium dreams of Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani who brought their schlock show onto Fox. Um, and put it on Maria Bartiromo and Lou Dobbs and all the rest of them and trafficked in all of this garbage and defamatory statements about Dominion killing their business um, and sacrificing their professional reputation on the altar of the greed of Fox. So two entities got sued that are important. Fox News, which is the one, I don't know why we call it news, Fox whatever, uh, that you watch on television with Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and the rest, and Fox Corporation, which is the parent company that Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan Murdoch run and control. That's the defendants. And in the case of a civil case that's now in Delaware Superior Court, we're moving through a lot of courts today. This is like our fifth or sixth court and and court system, federal versus state, that we're going to talk about. This one, Superior Court, Delaware, Judge Eric Davis sitting down in in Delaware, in Wilmington, Delaware, where this where this resides, Joe Biden's backyard, backcountry. And the case got filed by Dominion there because Fox is a Delaware corporation, as half of the Fortune 500 is because of the laws that are down there. So that's how we got there. This case has gone terrible for Fox almost from day one. 
and it backfired when they brought a motion for summary judgment, as did Dominion about a month ago, telling the judge, the jury shouldn't even get this case, Judge. Both Fox said the same thing. What we said was not defamatory about them. It's opinion. It was, in fact, we're journalists. We have the protection of the First Amendment. We have a protection of a body of law under the U.S. Constitution and the Supreme Court called Times, New York Times versus Sullivan, which says that I can say anything I want about anybody, and it can be defamatory if I wasn't uh, a part of the media, as long as I don't make that statement and publish it with actual malice, meaning I know it's false when I said it, or I have a reckless disregard for whether it's true or false. I really don't care because I'm all about the ratings. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. The judge took a look at the papers, took a look at the thousands of emails, the thousands of, of internal emails among the news, the news side, the editorial side, the business side, Rupert Murdoch, the president of News Corp, the three talking heads, Hannity, Tucker, and uh, and Laura Ingraham, and all of that, and concluded already before the jury even got in, is picked on Monday, concluded that everything that Fox said about Dominion is false. Falsity, which is the first element of defamation, already established by the judge. Judge is going to tell the jury there's three elements of defamation. Falsity of, of the thing said, publication that it got said to a third party in writing or, or orally, and damages. I'm taking two away from you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I made a ruling before you even got here. Falsity is proven and publication is proven. And for Fox News and for Fox Corp, all proven. All you got to do now is do damages, write a check, figure out whether they've been damaged. Of course they have been. And, and write a big check for it. $1.6 is what Dominion wants. And look at one, one major defense, the only defense that really Fox News and Fox Corp have, which is actual malice. Was there actual malice? The judge said, I looked at all the emails. It looks like you knew or should have known that everything you were putting on the air was complete and utter horseshit. This is my words, not his. And therefore, it's pretty close on actual malice. I'm going to let it squeak by and get to the jury, but it's pretty close that you would have lost this case just now on summary judgment. But the judge is pissed about something on top of all of this, based on some revelations that came out late in discovery. I mean, late like yesterday. And we're going to trial on Monday, okay? And the judge is just hearing about these issues now because the Fox News is just is just continuing to dump documents on the other side at this late game. Karen, why is the judge pissed? And what does he say about what he's going to do about it when the trial, you know, either during the trial or after the trial is over? Yeah, so look, Judge Eric Davis, who's the judge here, uh, is sanctioning Fox for withholding uh, information and evidence in the case, said that he's likely to have uh, a special master appointed to do an investigation into Fox's handling of documents during the discovery process and whether it withheld details uh, about whether Rupert Murdoch was a corporate officer or not. Uh, and, th and those are the two areas where uh, the judge was was pissed off, frankly, where, where, where Dominion's lawyers said um, that, that the information was withheld from them, really important, relevant information and materials, as well as uh, this status of whether Rupert Murdoch had a corporate role or not. So uh, Dominion uh, said that Fox 
only turned over recently, like I think it was a week ago, certain recordings that uh, existed between Maria Bartiromo, who was talking to Trump's lawyers, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. And the judge said that if Dominion had to ultimately do additional depositions or redo any that are already done because of these late disclosures and late uh, late discovery uh, information that was turned over, that that basically Fox will do everything they can to make whoever the person is available if they have to do it. And uh, it will be at their cost. They'll have to pay for whatever this costs, this late discovery. And they're going to and, and the judge said it's very likely he's going to appoint a special master to investigate Fox's handling of these uh, materials, of these documents, and whether they inappropriately withheld this information from Dominion and whether they withheld details about Rupert Murdoch's role as a corporate officer of Fox News. So apparently they knew that he was a corporate officer of Fox Corporation, but they didn't know that he had a role in Fox News, which is relevant here because it has to go, it has to do with whether or not they would have subpoenaed certain documents or asked certain questions in deposition because it's Fox News that was making some of the decisions, the editorial decisions about what to put on and what not to put on the news uh, that turned out to be false. I think jury selections tomorrow uh, and openings are Monday. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is starting actually tomorrow as in Thursday. And, you know, the judge thinks this is very serious. He thinks that the uh, there's been misrepresentations made to the court. Anytime a judge says that, you know, it's one thing to objection sustained, objection overruled. It's one thing to lose an objection, right? And and that happens and you go on with with life in your trial. But if a judge is accusing you of of withholding information from the court, lying to the court, that's pretty serious. And it's not going to bode well for uh, for Fox and their lawyers during this trial. So I, I think it's a very big deal. This trial starting tomorrow. They they wanted to sub, um, Fox wanted to decouple. I think is the word they used, or I can't remember the the word they used. But they wanted deconsolidate. Deconsolidate. Yeah, <laughs> I know it was something like that. They wanted to deconsolidate these trials and um, and have Fox News go and not Fox Corp or vice versa. And the judge wasn't having anything, <laughs> anything of that. So, so we'll see. I yeah. think this is this is one to watch. Well, let me tell you what he could do because I've been involved with cases like this, not on on the Fox side, on the on the Dominion side. And let me just frame this for people who don't think. That the that if people are out there, maybe not in our chats and watching our show, that Fox is going to be able to dance through the raindrops without getting wet, as that common phrase is, on actual malice, they're not. There is a video, there is a recording of a conversation between Maria Bartiromo that just got produced the last couple of days and Rudy Giuliani and Powell, in which Powell then sent her, Bartiromo, as supporting documentation, an email from somebody that Powell said supported their uh, uh, fraud software, China, you know, uh, Venezuela had infiltrated Dominion and flip votes in favor of Trump. The person in the email says that one of the ways that she was able to discover this information is because she is a time traveler. I'm not making this up, everybody. <laughs> she is a time traveler right. and used her time traveling skills 
to deter. And this was sent to Maria Bartiromo, who she then- had special powers. She said she had special powers. Special powers. Bartiromo, bless her soul, she's also a defendant in the case, sent a email back to Sidney Powell referring to Eric Trump, that Eric Trump, and said, this is very important information. I'll let Eric know you provided it. So look, either that's tongue in cheek or she didn't want the, she didn't want the, look, nobody at Fox wanted the jig to be up because ratings, 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 and they're, they're losing a Newsmax and they needed to continue to run these crazy stories. But that's also defamation and that's also actual malice. Let me tell you what the judge could do. People are, are people are underreporting this in the news because it just came out today that the judge said, you misled me about the role of um, Rupert Murdoch, what hat, we sometimes we call it dual hattedness, which hat he was wearing. I asked the question of the lawyers for, for Fox about whether Rupert Murdoch had an operational executive role at news. And I was told point blank, no. And now that is not true. I feel misled. This is the judge on the record. And you're now providing documents late about the role of Rupert Murdoch in the company and things that you should have produced like the Rudy, Sidney Powell, Mart Bartiromo show in video that you didn't produce. So I'm going, you are to save lawyers for Dominion. I'm, I'm sorry, for Fox, all of your internal correspondence and emails about the production of documents and on these issues, because I'm going to appoint, I'm looking at appointing a special master. Here's what the judge could do. The judge could do, <clears throat> pardon me, the following. At the end of the trial, he could sanction um, Fox by striking their pleadings, striking their answer, striking their defenses, and giving a default judgment in favor of um, Dominion. And he could do that at like any time during the trial. So for people that don't think the, the person in the black robe has a lot of, doesn't have a lot of power, they do. It's called contempt. It's called striking pleadings. They have inherent authority to make sure there's a proper administration of justice in their courtroom. And this judge feels like he's been had by um, by Fox and its lawyers. And that's a terrible place for them to be. This could happen. We'll watch it. It's going to be parallel to what's happening in the actual trial in the courtroom is going to be when the jury's not around in the morning and in the evening, the judge holding hearings about whether he's going to take this away from the jury and sanction Fox, which he can do for these kind of violations. He could give them that equivalent of a death penalty if he finds that this violation was so great. As to the depositions, people might be saying, well, what happens? The game the game starts on, I don't know if it's this week. I still think it's Monday, but whenever it is, when the trial starts, people are like, well, it's over. They won. They they held, they hit all the documents. No. There can be, and I've done this, there can be breaks in the trial. The judge says to the jury, uh, we're not meeting on Wednesday. He doesn't tell them why. We're not meeting on Wednesday. There's things the lawyers and the judge have to do together. We'll see you Thursday morning. And then Wednesday, they're scrambling to go cram depositions in and, and at Fox's expense and trying to catch up there. So you can build this plane, this trial plane, while you're flying it. It's not ideal. I've done it. You break out of the trial. And you go do a you go do a series of depositions, then you come back, and the jury kind of goes on ice for a while. So we're going to watch closely what this pissed off judge with lots of powers could do and throw the book at Fox. I have so a that's question. what we have there. Sure, of course. So 
with deposit, so because you don't, we don't have depositions in criminal cases, right? That there is no, there is no opportunity to speak to a person or or take questions from them in a criminal case. So I have a question for you. So these depositions that are done, can you play them anytime during your case, or do you have to wait to see if the person will testify or not first, and then you cross-examine them with that? If if they're not in other words, is the, oh. is is there a requirement? How does a deposition versus live testimony, if you understand my yeah. question? Yeah, and I do. In civil courts, and it's different in different jurisdictions, but I think in this one, because there was sworn testimony under oath, they're going to be able to play parts of it even in their opening um, without having the live witness give the testimony. So in courts in Florida and even in, in New York, I've played video clips in advance and then had the witness on the stand. Of course, I use the video to also impeach them when they when they deter, when they are not on point or they change their story, but that's when they're on the stand. And you can also do it with uh your witnesses as well as the opposing side or um it's usually the adverse side, but um because of different hearsay rules and things like that. But some courts are like, no, you're not playing any deposition videos. Get all your witnesses live in the courtroom. You can use that for impeachment. So really, you're going to have to play, as I know you have a national trial practice, you're going to have to look at the rules in each of the courtrooms. I think in Delaware, and I've done a little work in Delaware, I think they're going to be able to, like in their opening, play this. At the very least, Rupert Murdoch has been told, show up for your depos- uh, for your live testimony as a witness in the courtroom. Because he tried to, oh, well, why do I have to go? Uh, well, yeah, you got to go because there's lots of emails and fingerprints with your name on it in which you knew that Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell were lying and you commented on it to your news chief who of course is listening to the owner of the company. It's like Logan Roy on succession calling over to ATM and telling them what to put on the air. It's exactly like that. For those who don't think succession was based on Rupert Murdoch and his family, it was. So we have that going on. So he's going to appear. Hannity is going to have to go in there. Tucker Carlson's going to have to appear live. Um, you know who's not going to follow this on on their network is going to be Fox News. You're not going to see a thing about the lawsuit on any of their major outlets, uh, you know, except when these people are going to be talking about things. We do have a clip that Salty found for us of a, a Trump campaign official acknowledging during a phone call with a Fox producer that there was zero evidence of any issues of corruption with the Dominion voting machines. Salty, you got that clip? Are any of the machines, I know it was on War Room the other day with Steve Bannon, have any of the machines been looked at? He had said that one was looked at in Georgia. Uh, I'd have to check on that in terms of Georgia. I know during the audit they did check on those machines. Um, they're really, you know, the, the, if we can just go off the record for one sec here. Yeah, Chip Clark. Um, I, I, want, I don't want us to say it if it's not that's why we're checking i would i would i I think they have looked at the machines um when the the secretary of state did its audit uh there there was a lot i think a fair bit of looking at the machines um you know the audit came in pretty darn close to what the machine count was with the receipts so you know i don't know the outcome of those but our understanding again this was secretary of state's office was that there weren't any physical issues with machines on those inspections 
Well, if you wanted to know what actual malice sounds like, uh, Alex, courtesy of Alex Wagner, we just heard it. And so will the jury when that's played aloud for them. All the stuff that we geek out over, you, me, and Ben on Legal AF, when all of that treasure trove of emails got got filed with the papers by both Dominion and by, and by Fox, and we're like combing through them and doing hot takes and going on the show, wait till this is curated by a really amazing group of Dominion lawyers who've been eating and sleeping and drinking this case for the last two and a half years. And they put on this beautiful presentation of clips and audios and time travelers, uh, superpowers, and then the testimony of Bartiromo and Lou, Lou Dobbs. And then as we talked about, Karen, I don't know, you and I didn't talk about it, but I did a hot take on it. They're worried. They just settled a $250 million defamation case Brought by the Ven the poor Venezuelan businessman. I don't even know where Sydney Powell, she must have gone through a Venezuelan yellow pages to find this guy and claim that he was the mastermind of the entire conspiracy linking Smartmatic, a competitor, to Dominion, who they'd never heard of each other, to um, Venezuela, to Hugo Chavez, to software, to Georgia bribes, none of which happened, all of which Sydney Powell told Fox News had happened. And this poor guy was the was the mastermind. He was like the Kaiser Sozi of Sidney Powell's bullshit. They just settled with him. He brought a case piggybacking on all of the treasure trove of information that had come out with Smartmatic and Fox in federal court in New York. And they just did a confidential settlement. We don't know what the number is, but it started at 250 million. They got to get rid of this guy because I'm sure Dominion is going to bring him in and you know, Fox would at least like to have him say, um, you know, be a little, be a little happier, a little sunnier when he testifies, because otherwise he is the guy that Cynthia Powell pointed to and said he's the link between Dominion. He was just a poor Venezuelan businessman who got caught up in this maelstrom created by Sidney Powell to gin up ratings and support for Donald Trump. It's crazy. Ugh. It's just they just lie. It's just yeah, they just they just lie. Lies. That should be I don't the name understand. show. We should have our own. We should have another podcast. They just lie. But I just don't understand how you can just outright lie. It just makes no sense to me. Because it's look a, what they're, they look what mileage they get out of it. I guess <laughs> I don't know. It's like one thing to have different differences in, of opinion, right? I I believe government should be big. I believe it should be small. I believe in whatever whatever the things you know, climate change, or I don't, or whatever it is, whatever people believe it or don't is one thing. But to just flat out lie. I don't get it. it. It just doesn't make sense to me how they can do that over and over and over again. Anyway, we should get to our fourth, yeah, we're, our, yeah, our thank fourth you. issue because it's where <laughs> we're this one is. curating. I mean, what is it, an hour and a half? This is going, we're going I, long I here. So Wait, we gotta, don't call out how undisciplined we are in our presentation. You know, we went up, we had a special guest. And there we are. But let's get to the thing that we weren't even going to do. We were going to do three three shows tonight. And then as I was I know, in the- we pain, had to. We had to. Do I, we can't ignore Michael Cohen getting sued in federal court by Donald Trump. Oh my God. Uh, all right. This is, this is, if you, this is like Ali Foreman round three, you know, the thriller in Manila. It's like the third time these two have battled it out. Michael Cohen sued Donald Trump in the past. Now Donald Trump has decided because he knows he got hurt terribly by Michael Cohen with the grand jury and about Stormy Daniels and everything else. And Michael Cohen, look, he's not a shrinking violet. He's been very public. He's on the Midas Touch Network. 
he, he talks about either it's on mea culpa or it's on political beatdown with Ben and and his interviews. There's he's an open book. You can say whatever you want about Michael Cohen, but he is transparent. And he is an open book, and and he's and he's a chaste man, and he's talked about. His, uh, his seeing the light and testifying truthfully now about his relationship with Donald Trump and all the dirty deeds that he did on behalf of his boss at the time, Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't like it. He tried to throw Bob Costello, Robert Costello, a former prosecutor who's been a defense lawyer for people like Bannon and everything else. And at one time, because it's this very incestuous how all of these Trumpers use the same lawyers. And one time when Michael Cohen was inside of the tent, and, and with uh, with Trump in, in his camp, um, he used apparently Costello, or at least Costello claims he did as his lawyer. And so Donald Trump has decided, I got to hit back at Michael Cohen. I got to do a press release, but I'll just make it a federal lawsuit instead. And I'll attack Michael Cohen for breaching his fiduciary duties and rules of ethics when he was a New York lawyer. He's no longer a New York lawyer. He was disbarred as part of his, uh, part of his crimes. Because he and I want to, I want to hear your take on this, Karen. Because you made me laugh on something before we got going today about. I don't understand the case, Popak, but this is what I took away from it. I'm going to let you do it. But he's suing him in Florida now. Why? I'll I'll give the because I practice in Miami. I'll give the insider baseball on Miami. Then I'm going to turn it to you on the on how ridiculous the lawsuit is. Uh, why Miami? Donald Trump lives in Florida, so when he wanted to go gum up the works on Mar-a-Lago, remember, he went up to the northernmost, furthest part of the Southern District of Florida, but still in the Southern District of Florida, federal district, and found that one judge sitting there, Eileen Cannon, up in, uh, not Port St. Lucie, but the one, uh, Vero Beach of all places, and filed it there. They they typed like the Jessica talked today about filing a paper lawsuit. They did that. They took a paper lawsuit. They ran it up to you know 70 miles north of West Palm Beach in Mar-a-Lago, and they filed it. And they got Eileen Cannon. Then they filed uh, in Southern District again, and I think they tried for Fort Lauderdale, and they got Judge Middlebrooks. And that was the case Alina Haba brought in which they sued Letitia James, and that there's two cases that got assigned to Middlebrooks. But the first case was the Hillary Clinton case where Donald Trump sued Hillary Clinton and basically the entire leadership of the Democratic Party and a bunch of other people for who knows what, civil RICO, racketeering, organized crime, all this stuff. Not only did that case get dismissed, but then Middlebrooks took special delight in writing 30 pages or more, sanctioning Donald Trump and Alina Haba for bad faith filing and over a million dollars in fines and basically laugh, literally laughing them out of his courtroom. The case that he brought against Letitia James to try to stop the New York Attorney General case, which goes to trial on October 2nd, he brought in Florida. That got transferred to Middlebrooks and he quickly dismissed the case. He's like, oh, sh- crap, I'm not doing Middlebrooks again. This time they filed in Miami. Middlebrook sits in West Palm Beach. If we salty, we have a map of Florida. <laughs> They're about sixty-five miles apart, uh, but still part of the Southern District of Florida. Hoping they would get an, a, a, a more Trump, Trumpy type judge, because in in Miami. There are judges that are come from a Republican background. There are judges in the in the federal courts in Miami that are Federalists, proclaimed Federalists, and he's hoping to get one of them, right, in the random selection. Now, as of airtime tonight, we keep we kept looking. A, new, a judge hasn't been assigned, so that'll be a change. When I know who the judge is, I can almost tell you what the result is going to be uh, for him. But the cases for fiduciary duty breach, 
breach of contract, breach of his confidentiality agreement, like like Jessica Denson. Okay, Karen, you went through it. Make your observations for our. our no, I I just texted you and I said, "What am I missing?" Because I was looking through it and thinking, you know, where's the defamation claim? Because you know, first of all, he he goes through this painstaking, you know. Um, Michael Cohen worked for me for this long. He said all these wonderful things about me. He said he was loyal to me and that he never saw that I did anything wrong and he, whatever, just, he, it's just this thing about how great Michael Cohen thought he was. And he does that for a while. Then he goes on to go, then April 9th, 2018, the FBI executes a search warrant in Cohen's home and Cohen is a criminal and unstable. And he goes through all the reasons why he's a liar. He's lied about this. He's lied about that. He, Costello said that Cohen was in a manic state, pacing like a wild tiger and like frat, like a, like a tiger in a cage and was frazzled. He said he was suicidal. You know, he goes on and on that that's what, that's what Costello said when, um, when he represented Cohen during that search warrant execution, uh, in the, in the DOJ case that he ultimately pled guilty to. So, and, and what he also put, what Trump also put in this was that he, that, um, that Costello said, that Cohen said multiple times over and over and over, over several hours of talking that, that he said, I swear to God, Bob, as in Bob Costello, I don't have anything on Donald Trump. So he's on and on about how, um, how he's a lot, how, how he, how he was given the opportunity to turn on, on Trump. Uh, and he swore to God that, that he had nothing on Trump and that, that he decided on his own to take care of Stormy Daniels. So Trump then goes on about how Cohen's a serial liar. And then he pled guilty to tax evasion, making false statements, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, Basically, he he just goes on and on about how terrible Michael Cohen is. But then comes paragraph 56 and onward. That's where he starts talking about how Michael Cohen breached his professional ethics in New York. He violated New York's ethics rules by uh, by um, by breaching the attorney client privilege as well as an NDA or secrecy contract that he entered into that everyone has to enter into when you go into the Trump world. So he, his whole, the whole claim is all about how uh, the professional code of conduct in New York rule 1.6 says that an attorney client can't divulge anything that's likely to be embarrassing, detrimental, et cetera, et cetera, or confidential. So in my view, I'm thinking, okay, if he's saying that Cohen can't say these things because they're confidential. What he's saying is they're true. Either that or he's saying they're false. And if they're false, he should bring a defamation claim. So it made zero sense to me because I thought, is he admitting that these things are true? But even if he is admitting that they're true and that they are covered by the attorney-client privilege, I would argue that the crime fraud exception applies because at the time, uh, that's when that's when Michael Cohen was uh, Trump's fixer. So you can't have it both ways. And um, it's either fiction and then it's defamation or it's true and confidential. So which one is it? So it didn't really make any sense sense to me at all. And then I realized why. It's because this isn't a real lawsuit. This is an attempt to, once again, intimidate, right? Trying to intimidate a witness, trying to intimidate Michael Cohen, 
I mean, look at the timing of this. He waited until after the um, he was arraigned on the indictment, and he waited until after the judge warned him not to do anything to speak publicly about this case, and potentially that could potentially um, sour the case, sour the jury pool, etc. But now he can has now he put his entire defense into this document so that he can try this case in the court of public opinion which is what he's wanted to do all along. But this way he can not be accused of somehow tainting the jury pool or um, messing with the, uh, with the criminal justice process because he'll just say, oh, no, no, it's, it's a legitimate civil action that I'm bringing against Michael Cohen. So look at the timing of it. Look at what, what he says in there and what he doesn't say in there. And I think it's very clear exactly what this what this. Yeah. You got it. You got it right. He's going to claim he's got the litigation privilege to protect him for the statements that were made in there. So you can't blame me, Judge. This was just a dump, a data dump of all the grievances that uh, that Donald Trump has had against Michael Cohen. His Department of Justice and Bill Barr prosecuted Michael Cohen. Never forget it. It was it was the Department of Justice answers to the president. The president at the time of the prosecution of Michael Cohen was Bill Barr. Bill Barr. Um, called up as a courtesy to your old boss, Cy Vance, and got Cy Vance to back off of a Donald Trump investigation related to Michael Cohen because he said the feds will take it from here. And of course, he did nothing of the kind. So this is the Donald Trump that we're talking about. We've heard these old BS stories before that make no logical sense and nobody with a thinking brain cell would ever believe. For instance, Michael Cohen took out a loan this is Donald Trump's allegation. Took out a loan on his house himself to pay off his boss's, she's not a mistress, she said she had three minutes of sex with him, to pay off the boss's porn star thing because he didn't want, Michael Cohen didn't want Melania or Michael Cohen's wife to find, I can't even get this theory out, but it finds its way into the lawsuit um, with a straight face. Um, and the, and of course he can't help himself. He did the exact same thing when he when he wrote or ghost wrote the the uh, the, the hundred the two hundred page thing against Hillary Clinton. It's just a list of grievances. It's like Festivus, but a criminal Festivus where he just gets to air all of his grievances and all of his wacky made up things and put him behind the protection potentially of a litigation privilege. Although we'll we'll see what happens with that. And there right in the middle towards the end when he's talking about why why Michael Cohen should be sued in Florida because he's a podcaster and he writes books and he and he's mean to me Donald Trump in his podcast and he's on this this Midas touch yay we got a shout out the podcast is produced in paragraph 107 by Midas touch and an independent political action committee or super PAC fueled by anti-Trump donors, which according to Rolling Stone is focused on grandiose self-promotion that really doesn't match reality. By the way, I handled sending the cease and desist letter to Rolling Stone about their made up reporting about Midas Touch before I even started doing hot takes. And so, but the fact that he went out of his way to call out the brothers and the Midas Touch network because Michael's on it, just shows you how life and art are imitating each other. You can't even make this stuff up. But look, this is a case that's going to have about as much success in the Southern District of Florida Federal Court. I'll, I'll make one reservation. I want to see the judge assigned. 
um, as the other cases. Middlebrooks is very well respected in that jurisdiction. It's going to be very hard for a new judge who who is going to say, oh, yeah, this most a lot of these claims might even be barred by the statute of limitations. Plus, I don't know how Michael Cohen gets sued in in Florida and not in New York, where he lives and plies his trade. I think it gets dismissed for lack of personal jurisdiction over him. And on the merits, I think one or, or more of these counts get dismissed for statute of limitations, let alone failure to state a claim. And one last thing on it, I went to the back because, you know, I'm a geek, you know, like to see how the how the story ends. Lawyers go to the back to see what law firm filed it. So I went to the signature block and I see a law firm, frankly, yes, I've heard of them, but they operate in franchise litigation, you know, like when McDonald's fights with its franchisees. Um, they're not well known in constitutional defamation, Michael Cohen versus Donald Trump issues. I think this entire thing was ghostwritten by a lot of other lawyers that don't want their name on the pleading. And they found this this poor law firm who better watch it because every law firm or lawyer who's been involved with Donald Trump either gets fined, disbarred, suspended, or dragged before a grand jury. So I don't know why anybody, I know they're like, hey, we're a little firm, six people, This would, like Alina Haba. This would be good for publicity. You know, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, watch it. I'd watch it if I were you in taking on a case in which you rely for the merit of your filing in good faith on your client, Donald Trump. We're going to watch this case. It's going to be a slow burner, but we'll keep an eye on it because we keep on every we keep an eye on everything related to Michael Cohen. And we'll keep watching for shout outs to the Midas Touch Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, we've reached the end, Karen. Huh? Are you gonna yeah. Are you gonna ask me my final question? I have one. This my final oh, then, final then words. This, this is a good pitch and catch. So as always, Karen Freeman Ignifolo, you get the final word. All right. Well, in the comments, since we are live, live, I've been able to read a lot of the comments, and people have been wonderful asking how Boogie's doing. My dog, who had surgery and who on the weekends. <laughs> loves to be a part of the podcast. So I just wanted to tell everyone that Boogie is doing great. Thank you so much for asking. He had uh, he had ACL surgery, so he's on uh, crate rest and, um, and he's doing great. So thanks everyone yeah. for asking. And the Boogie and Salty show, it's, it's currently, we're working on it. Uh, our producer and Boogie, uh, are, we're thinking about doing a podcast with them, but we, we appreciate everybody being here with us. We had a lot to cover. That was really important. I wouldn't have cut or edited anything out of it. Um, and it's really important that we do this on Wednesdays and we do it again on Saturdays with Ben Mysalis. Sometimes Karen joins us depending upon the topic. We do hot takes, Karen, me and Ben. Sounds like it looks like every hour, hourly, if not daily, on issues like this that we then curate for our shows. You can, you can, how do you help, right? Because everything's really free on this network. How do you help? We get the sponsors. We know how to do that part. But you can help us by keeping our quote unquote ratings where they need to be, that, that, that people think we're interesting uh, and that you think we're interesting. So if you're watching us on YouTube on the Midas Touch Network, Go over and subscribe and follow. It's free on any place where you get your audio. This will drop in a few hours as an audio version, and you should go follow it and try, listen to it. We cover a lot of ground. You probably can't take it all in just once. And if you're a listener, come watch us occasionally. We have fun. We've got 13, 14, 15,000 people in live chat with us. We answer back when we can. And so go do that. You can do both, and that really helps it. 
Um, and you can watch our hot takes. As I said, you can follow us on social media. And then we've got a store because we sell stuff. We're going to be up. Uh, Karen's taking over. She's going to help help update and upgrade our offerings for the Legal AF merchandise, which you can find in the Midas Touch store. Um, and you can go there and get that kind of stuff. We're going to be offering other things as the spring and summer arrive. 82 degrees in New York today. Spring and summer have sprung. We're so glad you're here with us. But we've reached the end of the Legal AF podcast. Shout out to the Midas Mighty and the Legal AFers.